0: Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek,
1: and I'm Ryan Cooper. Here to uh, here here to introduce our our recurring book club uh, episodes um, with the uh, book by President Barack Obama, of Promised Land. Um, and th- this this absolute beast, seven hundred pages. Um,
0: and this is part one yeah. only. This is part one of a of a two part. Memoir. Yeah,
1: yep. we, we we read through this sucker. I mean, I have to admit, I did not read it terribly closely. I skimmed through a lot of sections, um, but you know, it, it's it's a. I, I think I'll say offhand that you know, if you have time to to read it, uh, it's worth reading, um, even if you're a lefty and you hate Obama, as 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 I have come to very. Strongly dislike him. Yep. Um yep. he's a smart guy. Uh and he is a uh 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 I don't know, he dishonest. I mean we'll sort of get into that, but it's worth reckoning with with his kind of perspective, you know, maybe even especially right. if you think that he basically screwed the pooch on all of his most important decisions, which, you know, I think right. is the case. Um but you know, it's a kind of a, a vision and uh, at the very least a window into how someone who is very intelligent can sort of be trapped or trapped themselves into a situation where they end up doing things that they th- doing or justifying things they think are kind of basically indefensible at the end of the day and didn't work and helped elect Donald Trump. So.
0: No, that's right. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd say, you know, Pull it off of LibGen for free. Have someone gifted yeah, to you. Yeah, don't pay for it, no, for fuck's sake. No. no need to pay for it. That, but but it, it, it a, is actually... You
1: got a $65 million <laughs> advance. Do not pay for this. I mean, <laughs> like like run into a Barnes and & Noble and throw, <laughs> th- like bribe the clerk to not pay for it. <laughs> for
0: God. This is true. You, you know, um, in, in these dark times, people have to steal food. And so for our political education, if you have to steal this tome, I think it's worth, uh, worth doing to, to study. And, uh, yeah, I'd agree. You know, we'll, we'll go over it because we're going to do this, this top 10, uh, passages from the book that pissed us off and compare our top 10 passages. But, um, but just generally speaking, part of for me, the, the kind of roller coaster and reading this, um, you know, having lived through it and having believed in, in, uh, Obama at, at early on at the time, yep. uh, you know, it, it is, it is all the more maddening and upsetting and important to study his kind of apologia and his account of things, um, because of how smart he is because of how talented he is, um, because of how much possibility there was, um, yeah. So, so, so we can get into all of that, but, but let's just say that there, there was, you know, various German words that probably capture the, the mix of emotions that I <laughs> I had reading this because the, the kind of the lucidity, the, um, the astute observations, um, even just the, the prose, um, style for, for someone writing a memoir, what was all, um, you know, reminded me of why I kind of bought in on, on this presidency and on this candidate and this person. So, um, yeah, you know, now that the niceties are out of the way, we can rip them to shreds, but I just (laughs) wanted to get that out there. (laughs) Well, just after, you know, Trump and everything, just, just seeing the kind of the contrast uh, a little bit with, uh, with kind of the, the reason, reasoned, uh, analysis and tempered, uh, approach to kind of thinking through his own mistakes and admitting his own um you know perhaps stupidities um and admitting his his, his sins and his flaws um you know that that's in there coupled with his kind of sometimes weak sauce arguments for yeah. why he did things certain ways so so we can get into all that but let's just say I, I don't know overall it's worth worth reading important to read historically and and there are lessons to be learned yeah
1: yeah. And, and and as a final comment, before we get to our top 10 least favorite passages in the Obama <laughs> memoir, volume one, <laughs> um, the, this is, you know, I don't think I've read every book written by a president, president or allegedly written by a president. Um, but I think I've probably read most of them and, uh, you know, the, This is fairly well written by presidential standards. Like, I'm pretty sure Obama himself actually wrote all of it or pretty much all of it. Doesn't hold a candle to the best book ever written by a president, which is Ulysses S. Grant's memoirs. That is a real, real piece of uh, real honesty and real, uh, uh, you know.
0: taking account. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, literally written by a guy dying of (laughs) cancer who just needed the money. Uh, and didn't really give a shit about anything else, but telling his own story. So, uh, yeah, how should we start this off? You you want me to go
0: first with my first... Uh sure, you, you, you can kick it off. Let's just say the, the, the last uh, non-top-10 uh, point I want to make is that Obama, also a bit of a dick, he uh, did not thank Michelle Obama in the acknowledgements. Uh, <laughs> like... He thinks many asshole! Many
1: other times in the in the book.
0: What an asshole! I just want to say, uh, but in any case, yeah. Go ahead. What's 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 your number ten?
1: So my number ten here, uh, quote: I might be able to spark a new kind of politics, or get a new generation to participate, or bridge the divisions in the country better than other candidates could. So so this is his explanation to I think uh, Michelle to Michelle to why yeah. he wants to run for president. And
0: she's had enough. She's like, she's like, stop it. You you know, you keep going up and up and up. One is enough. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. And this is the answer. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit of hindsight bias, but like that answer fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: well, yeah, I yeah, might I, I, well,
1: be able to spark a new kind of politics, question mark, what is in those politics? What kind of politics is in there? Or get a new generation to participate or bridge, the, bridge the divisions.
0: Yes, and that's you a think, recurring theme. You're
1: going to be the best, the, the first black president, and you're going to bridge the divisions. You know, like right. if you've right. studied a little right. American history, you think that's going to work out that well? You know, you you're going to reach yeah. out to people. And you know, it, it just it struck me. It, you know, I wrote a I wrote a review of this. You know, it was, it was like sort of like democratic mindset, and you know, the the neoliberal ideology, uh, sort of coming out here. And um, I think this, you know, it, it's like he kind of ended up, you know, running for president because that was sort of the next rung on the ladder. He just didn't really have right. anything in particular he wanted to achieve. He didn't... He
0: even questions his own motives throughout the book. Yeah. Like a number of times.
1: And it kind of, I mean, we might get into that. I, I didn't put it down any of those passages. I, I don't really find those convincing as as actual interrogations of his own motivations. But, you know, it's not like he had an ideological vision. You know, I was like, here's a problem I want to fix. It's like I, I just I want to have a new kind of politics and bridge the division, the divisions, whatever well, those divisions well, are. not
0: not only that, so so there are many places where he identifies correctly. All kinds of structural problems with inequality, with racism, with, with poverty. Uh, I mean, he's literally like community organizing and seeing all of these asymmetries of power and all of these inequities and all of this corruption. Uh, like he, so he knows this is part of what was just devastating to read this. He knows all of those problems and he even sees like what the, what the causes are, but he keeps coming back to this like, you know, civility politics of bridging divides and really what matters is, is healing through kind of, uh, compromise and, and, uh, a, a kind of symbolic politics where people realize they should just all get along. Um, now I will say in this answer he gave to Michelle that the, the more poignant part of it was where he said, uh, you know, when, when black and brown kids in, uh, look up at me as the president, they will, they, they, their lives will be transformed in a certain way that, that what's possible for them in life will, will be transformed. And, and I think that's true. That, that, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, but it didn't need to be accompanied by a totally kind of vacuous, uh, ideological understanding of what politics could achieve. Uh, and so, so like that there is this, this, for me, this theme between this kind of empty centrist uh, symbolic nonsense and the fact that he does time after time actually seem to really get the problems and the intransigence of the GOP and the corruption of politics. So we can get to that more, but like these kind of quotes are especially problematic for me when it's clear that like on any number of levels, he's too smart for this nonsense.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is sort of the general formula of the book, how the book is written um, Daniel Bessner, you know, who we had on the podcast pointed this out. He's been reading it, uh, that, that basically like, you know, he'll go through some history, he'll talk about something he's doing and he'll, he'll identify basically the leftist, the socialist, uh, you know, gadfly critique of whatever it is. Uh, and then explain why that couldn't be done for whatever reason. And why Mm -hmm. his approach ultimately was the only one that could possibly succeed. And in most circumstances, it's just not convincing at all. Uh, And that... Well, wait. You you go... Uh, before I get on, so here's my number yeah, ten. Go for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so here's my number ten, and, and I chose quotes that weren't necessarily ones that have been promoted as much on Twitter. So I think a lot of people have probably already seen the quotations about him trying to get laid, right? By like <laughs> uh, being conversant, right? Like being conversant in Marxism and and Mar- in, in studying the Frankfurt School. And, I mean, and, you yeah. Know. And there's like, everyone. There's a whole the, the, these things happen.
1: <laughs> it's fine. That's a college yeah, thing. It's so, fine
0: right but this is this is my one college barack uh quotation where uh, again in, in in the same kind of uh unserious way he kind of says quote the blundering exercise of military power the rapaciousness of multinationals yeah yeah i got all that right and so so so, so f- Right. Like for me, like he, he is expressing <laughs> that he understands like college Barack understands, uh, the problem with imperialism, the problem with the rapaciousness of multinationals. It's so obvious that like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Right. Yeah. No, let's, let's stop talking about United it. It's, it's so obvious
1: child slavery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yada, yada, like, yada, yada. So, so, so for me, this is important because like from an early uh, age, and then throughout the book he shows this, he really does get and understand and doesn't actually rebut the nature of these problems with imperialism and capitalism. Yep. Uh, and, and so this just this makes his his sins all the more problematic for me. So that's my number 10.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we'll definitely get, you know, to this, uh, several of my uh, quotes have, have some of the uh, a similar um, argument in there. Um, let me see. Uh, okay. This one talking about a little history here. Um, quote, so widespread was the hardship. Uh, this is by the way, 19, he's talking about 1932, 1933, the transition after Franklin Roosevelt was elected. So widespread was the hardship, so discredited were Republican policies that when a new bout of bank runs occurred during what was then a four-month transition between presidencies, FDR made a point of rebuffing Hoover's efforts to enlist his help. He wanted to make sure that in the public's mind, his presidency marked a clean break untarnished by past blunders.
0: <laughs>
1: and so this, this pissed me off because on the one hand, this is a, a slander against Left Anchor Podcast. Because we That's had right. historian Eric Roushway, New Deal guy, on here to talk about why the that is complete fucking horseshit. That is the opposite of truth. <laughs> um, it was in fact Hoover who tried to exploit the bank run to get FDR to agree to political capitulations, namely just abandoning everything he had run on in the last election, uh, and he mm-hmm. did not want to fix the bank bank run. FDR said. Let's do a bank holiday. Hoover said, fuck you. I'm not doing it. When he took power in March, FDR did a bank holiday, clean, clean shit up, did a bunch of speeches explaining what he was doing. He fixed it in a matter of weeks. Um, and so this is emblematic number one of, uh, you know, I mean, just garbage history. And so, like, like, like Barack the intellectual is often v- just totally mistaken on the facts. And this is a very big example, and I think is a big justification from Obama world as to why he didn't do what FDR did. It's like, because FDR is being irresponsible. You know, FDR was 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 putting politics over fixing the economy. When what, in fact, FDR was doing was fixing the economy with politics. Um, and and uh, Obama just, he doesn't want to admit that. And and um, so you know this 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 fake history sort of ties into a general uh, 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 you know mistaken mindset and a uh, way of looking at uh, I mean it's classic neoliberal technocracy naturalizing the economy that like oh there's a financial crisis we just have to fix the fix things quote unquote fix things which means return to the status quo ante without any changes and not do you know like a kind of uh you know o- sweeping overhaul of of things that will uh you know uh address the, the the root causes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you know, we'll, we'll we'll get into that probably later, I imagine. But you know yeah, th- a slander is, against so history maddening. mainly. <laughs> like
0: God <laughs> This is so maddening. And and I, I might as well uh I have my number four number three are, are FDR related. So I might yeah. as well go to those real quick. Go for it. Uh so num number three, quotes in the days leading up to the inauguration I had read several books on FDR. <laughs> on his first term and the implementation of the New Deal. What books are you reading? So that's the thing. So so he must be reading the wrong to quote Goodwill Hunting, right? You're reading the wrong fucking books. So he's either <laughs> reading the wrong fucking books or or it's all the more maddening because he has actually a proper understanding of the history, and then he doesn't implement it. So this goes to my uh number four quote. So this is a longer one. Bear with me, right? But I I titled this quote on on not being FDR. Okay. So he writes, when Tim, this is Geithner, when Tim had expressed concern that overly harsh rhetoric directed at Wall Street might dissuade private investors from recapitalizing the banks and therefore prolong the financial crisis, I'd agreed to tone it down despite objections from Axe and Gibbs. Now a sizable part of the country thought I cared more about the banks than I cared about them. When Larry had suggested that we pay out the Recovery Act's middle-class tax cuts in biweekly increments rather than in one lump sum because research showed that people were more likely to spend the money that way, giving the economy a quicker boost, I would said, great, let's do it, even though Rom had warned that it meant no one would notice the slight bump in each paycheck. Now surveys showed that the majority of Americans believed I had ra- raised rather than lowered their taxes, all to pay for bank bailouts, the stimulus package, and health care. FDR would never have made such mistakes, I thought. He had understood that digging America out of the Depression was less a matter of getting every New Deal policy exactly right than of projecting confidence in the overall endeavor, impressing upon the public that the government had a handle on the situation, just as he'd known in that crisis that in a crisis people needed a story that made sense of their hardships and spoke to their emotions, a morality tale with clear good guys and clear bad guys and a plot they could easily follow. In other words, FDR understood that to be effective, governance couldn't be so antiseptic that it set aside the basic stuff of politics. You had to sell your program, reward supporters, punch back against opponents, and amplify the facts that helped your cause while fudging the details that didn't. And he goes on, but like motherfucker, <laughs> like you knew, <laughs> yeah, you knew,
1: or he says he knew, uh,
0: or he says he, kn- uh, but but like he was reading books on FDR and the New Deal. He's he's talking exactly about the kind of thing that he didn't do, right?
1: Keep it simple and, and, and take he, credit. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So I mean, so in another. It, seems, I I, yeah.
1: I didn't mark this one down, but he talks about how, I mean, kind of boasts about how he wouldn't let any earmarks happen in the, uh, right, the, the stimulus. Right. You know, and I mean, and that that would be uh, incomprehensible to a politician like FDR. It's like, oh, we're going to hand out eight hundred billion dollars worth of stimulus shit. Like, yeah, put your name all over that stuff. I just the other just today I went on a walk in uh, the Wissahickon, um, you know, park and there are beautiful park, beautiful park. Philly rocks. there. There are. Um, there are little uh little i don't know what you call them, gazebo things that have wpa 1938 built you know little uh, cornerstones put on there with a engraved you know inscription to say yeah but this is a, this is a government this is a government coming in to help you like did they do anything like that no they didn't do it on purpose because that would be irresponsible yeah, right. that would to 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 not have your name on the checks. I mean, in this way, Donald Trump is much more intelligent uh, or much more <laughs> yeah. sensible and politically to be like, yeah. uh, oh, we're handing out checks. Well, I'm gonna put my. I need to sign the checks. I need to send I out mean, a letter.
0: His narcissism, his narcissism and constant need to be to be loved, uh, you know, led him to that obvious conclusion, which which uh, the the overthinker here in Obama didn't see, the, but he should have. Yeah, so that's another theme, right? Like, there, there are places where he talks about his, his inability. I mean, this is back to him trying to, like, basically regretting not getting laid more in college. Um, but, but then also like there's a passage about like his friends telling him you need to go out more, you know, enjoy the moment. And, and, uh, and then later on his kids, you know, in Hawaii are, are kind of weirded out by the fact that he can't ever just like relax in the water. He has to do laps literally every time he goes in the water. He can't just like wade in the water. Um, so, so he's got, he's got some kind of neuroses or whatever, but, um, but I th- I think we're we're piecing together some some problems of of character and and will yeah um, you know so so let me go to my number nine how about that
1: uh
0: or it's your turn it's your yeah, turn for, yeah. for number nine yeah right? yeah yeah yeah
1: um sort of picking them at random here but let me do <laughs> uh let let me do the the little story about how um how they were talking about the stimulus. So here's the discussion of, of the size of the stimulus. Uh, Christy Romer, uh, uh, this administration economist, she suggests that the, that the, the stimulus package should be over a trillion dollars. What Obama doesn't mention is that Larry Summers, his, the guy he picked to be, to all, to be head of the national, uh, economic uh, advisory board. Um, had already sort of you know pushed her uh, to underbid herself. She said it should be probably 1.8 trillion, but she's still saying like 1.2 trillion. And uh, Obama says has has uh, quotes. "Rom, there's no fucking way," Rahm said. Given the public's anger over the hundreds of billions of dollars already spent on the bank bailout, he said any number that began. With a T would be a non-starter with lots of Democrats, not to mention Republicans. I turned to Joe Biden, who nodded in assent. What can we get past? I asked. Seven, maybe eight hundred billion tops. Rom said, and that's a stretch. And this, to me, you know, earlier in the in the the thing, he he uh, talks about how he, uh, you know, went way out of his way to get Rom to be his chief of staff, and. You know th- this. This is this is uh, beta uh, timid. I mean, Ram is a a a a sweary asshole who is also a coward who gives up at the first sign of of trouble. And that's right. And um,
0: just just like Ram wanted to give up on healthcare. Yep. You wanted to just do. You
1: wanted to do like chip, and judges. Right? <laughs> He's going to give up on yep. appointing judges. It's like what. What are you talking about, dude? You know, it's like, what are you made of, A blancmange, You know, and um, <laughs> so so this is the like the entire discussion of the size of the stimulus is right here, and in yep. other in other That's situations, right. in the, in the interview with Jonathan Chait, Obama says that he talked about boosting the size of the stimulus. You know, he's like he had all discussions about getting it as big as possible. That's not true. That that is yep. either a lie or he doesn't know what he's talking about. Reed Hunt in his book, uh, A Crisis Wasted, he talks about how uh, other people's tried to sell the administration on uh, strategies to increase the size of the stimulus without uh, increasing the doll, like the sticker price, right? You know, more bang for your buck. You could have a green infrastructure bank that would uh, according to the way that the the scores work, you get ten dollars of loans for every one dollar of appropriation or you could do um you you could do counterbalancing tax hikes in the ten year budget window at the end of it. so you have a bunch of spending and then you have a bunch of tax hikes that take take effect in like you know year five plus and and sort of cancel it out and and keep the deadline cost down. Or you could just refinance state and local debt, which usually you know has a somewhat higher rate of interest, with the federal government's like rock bottom, world's lowest interest rate. I mean, like literally less than nothing in in uh, in many cases. Like after two thousand nine, so administration rejected all those proposals. Hunt uh, personally pitched Summers and. Uh, Tim Geithner, treasury secretary and head of uh, office of management and budget, Peter Orzog on the green infrastructure bank, you know, which is like directed at climate change, the single biggest problem humanity has ever faced. And they dismissed him out of hand. And so, you know, there was, there was (laughs) not.
0: Notice that in that discussion, What what didn't matter was the economic needs of the country, which also ties like significantly to the political success and political capital that they would gain from actually stimulating the economy. All that mattered is like a one off assessment by Rahm Emanuel about what political possibility was just like a snap comment without any justification. You know, and that was it. That was it. Yeah, no, no, no idea. No, no, no thought to like, oh, maybe we can shift what's politically possible or Or maybe maybe we can cajole. Maybe we could be like LBJ. Maybe we could threaten like making sure at least all the Democrats are in line. And maybe we could then, you know, play politics and pin it on the opposition for failing, you know, any number of discussions that you might have about how to do the thing that would really help the country. Um, just quickly nipped in the bud with, with just like a, a cl- closing of the window of what's possible. And, and that, that, you know, that leads me to a, a quote that I have on, on Rahm Emanuel actually. Yeah. Um, and again, we're doing this out of order, but that's yeah, wh- whatever. totally fine. I'm, I'm Greek and associative anyway, whatever. <laughs> so this was my number five. I, I, I titled it like on personnel as po- as policy, right? So, so quote, not all of my supporters were as enthusiastic this is about the choice of Rom for, for uh, his chief of staff. Hadn't Rom supported Hillary a few growls? Didn't he represent the same old triangulating Davos attending Wall Street coddling Washington focused obsessively centrist version of the Democratic Party we'd been running against? How can you trust him? These were all variations on a question that would recur in the coming months. What kind of president did I intend to be? I had pulled off a neat trick during the campaign, attracting support from independents and even some moderate Republicans by promising bipartisanship and an end to slash and burn politics, while maintaining the enthusiasm of those on the left. I had done so not by telling different people what they wanted to hear, but by stating what I felt to be the truth. That, in order to advance progressive policies like universal health care or immigration reform, it was not only possible but necessary to avoid doctrinaire thinking to place a premium on what worked and listen respectfully to what the other side had to say <laughs> I mean if that passage doesn't piss you off i i don't even know yeah I, I, he gets it the, at the beginning, he gets it, yes, of course, rom represents the davos attending wall street coddling washington focused obsessively centrist politics of the democratic party like he even says that's what he ran against and this is why i feel better that we were duped because he did he did run against that he seemed so clearly as the opposite of the clinton triangulation stuff like he's he really did seem like a different kind of politician at the time yeah and he's aware of it right And then he ends with this kind of bullshit bipartisanship civility nonsense where like we haven't even got into it, but there's passage over passage after passage where he is observing the inability to get the other side to listen or to have like deliberative democracy work. Yeah. Like it's it's this massive cognitive, cognitive dissonance that runs throughout.
1: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't put this down in my, uh, in my quotes here, but there's a, thing where he talks about he's pissed at at people suggesting that george bush should be prosecuted for war crimes because he's set up a a torture tribunal and um you know because basically because bush and his wife were nice to him personally and Mm -hmm. uh and like that i think is a major intellectual failure to not you know it's like he was in some ways tuned in with the kind of democratic grassroots in the, in the two thousands. Um, you know, he, he didn't support the Iraq war, but Mm -hmm. he didn't, he didn't realize and maybe still doesn't realize how big of a fucking disaster George W. Bush was as president. I mean, you know, it's still a pretty, I mean, I, I would say Bush is worse than Trump. Um, you know, all in it's close. I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on the question. Trump's really fucking terrible. Uh, but, but Bush, I mean, he turned half the middle East into the 30 years war, you know, I mean, ISIS, (laughs) a million people dead. Um, you know, Trump may be worse for the U S but like he, you know, he let Katrina drown still thousands of people. I mean, the place still hasn't recovered. It may never recover. And that was, right. and it's like, oh, he was nice to me, you know. Like, what are you talking about, man? You know, it, it was, right. it was uh, nearly as fucked up, you know, at, uh, back then as it is now. You know, but Bush came to power in a stolen election. It was, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, basically stolen. Gore would have won. I'm convinced a fair recount of all the votes, and they stopped the vote counting. Uh, to, to put, to put him in, you know, in a way that was, you know, facially illegitimate, uh, uh, on a sort of like one person, one vote, you know, basis. Gore had gotten more votes. And so, you know, to, to think, to, to be in 2008, thinking that you're going to be the person who's going to bridge the divide and you're. You're going to, you know, try to try to sort of break the fever yourself as a black person. The first black president seems just profoundly deluded. You know, That's like, what are what are you yeah, smoking, no, I, man?
0: Well, and yeah, and we'll get to this when when I come back to my quotation that, that involves Bush. Um, but yeah. but there, there there seems to be and and just briefly on Bush Trump and all that. Like, I, I think part of the problem is that. Um, So much suffering is caused from like doctrinaire conservatism and doctrinaire liberalism, to to be frank, uh, that, you know, when Trump does something uh, that that's that's outrageous and blatant and shows that cruelty is the point. Um, that's seen as somehow substantively distinct from all the suffering caused with the civility and the, and the adherence to norms and all that. Even yeah. though the Bush administration did, did breach all kinds of norms and, and stole an election and all that. But, but like in terms of the, the kind of facade the perception, right? Um, you know. Look, in a sense, Bush was trying to do the same thing that Obama was. He was the compassionate conservative. Yeah. Right. Like, like he, he, he was, he was, and 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 Obama even gives him credit for like not stoking Islamophobia. Like, so you can see these contrasts where, where, where Trump is just like blatantly Islamophobic and like, you know, xenophobic as part of his strategy and just on its face. Whereas, you know, who actually killed more people? (laughs) Right, that are Muslim, um uh, you know it, it's it right but but so so but but, but that's kind of masked by the these uh these niceties of politicking that Obama kind of respects because he thinks that that's that kind of civility politics is the answer to everything because he sees the, the, the lack of maybe riots in the street or, or the, the, the ability for people to kind of like have a high approval rating for somebody as the healing of a nation, even when the same number of people or more are dying of poverty or killed in war or what have you. So, so we can get to that in a minute, but like, he's definitely got this problem, uh, where he doesn't, care as much about the actual lives of people here and abroad that are being affected and cares more for like the kind of politics, you know, as it were, you know, like the, the, the tone of people talking to each other in Congress or the, you know, the the fact that Joe Wilson yelled you lie. Right. Um, yeah. Which is, is, is bad, but like <laughs> it was a real dick move, but, but, but yet he still tries to, to kind of push this vision of, of civility politics. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, so so I'll get back to the Bush quote in a minute, but I think it's I think it's your turn um, for a uh, quotation, isn't it?
1: Yeah, let yeah. Me let, let me um, let me do. Uh, You've
0: thrown me off by going off of the numbers without doing the well, countdown I and the numbers. Yeah, I'm sorry,
1: filming. I I, I, I should have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a disorganized <laughs> leftist, and I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I I don't have a plan to solve. I I don't no, it's, I don't want to take half a it's, loaf.
0: <laughs> it's better this way because then we can connect our quotes up when they when they match up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 let let me
1: let me do. Um, so so this is about uh, the the HAMP program, uh, Obama's uh, foreclosure policy, home assistance mortgage program, and and home something refinance this hamp and harp anyway he says right. quote the goal was to target several million families teetering on the edge those who lived in their homes and had made what seemed at the time like a responsible purchase but now needed relief to get them through and this is part of a section of the book which is f- either profoundly ignorant or dishonest yeah. um right. you know the yep. the yep. the point of obama's housing policy was to take the losses from the subprime mortgage bubble and move them from the banks to homeowners they convinced themselves or you know that or they just you know said fuck the homeowners that the the uh whatever it was that 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 was what needed to be done and uh, so, so, so the, so the point explicitly, the, 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 which Tim Geithner said, uh, you know, ne- Neil Barofsky, who, who Obama insults, by the way, I didn't write this down, but Obama insults this guy and said, he doesn't know much about finance. Um, uh, but he was the inspector general for the, the bailout. And, uh, he has, uh, Elizabeth Warren talking to Tim Geithner. Tim Geithner says the point of our policy is to foam the runway, for the, for the banks saying that to, to, to stop the foreclosures from coming in so fast, they can only take so many not to stop the foreclosures. Um, and, and, and so, you know, there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of uh, evidence of this. I mean, that the, the uh, both Christy Romer and Austin Goolsby tell Reed Hunt, I mentioned him before, that, uh, you know, there, there there's this massive uh, negative equity in all of these homes that has mm-hmm. been translated into subprime mortgages and um, or subprime securities, rather, that are on the bank balance sheets. And so if you make the banks take the hit, the banks are going to be fucked. And you, the banks can't be fucked because the financial system is too fragile. And so you have to make homeowners take the hit and that you know that was sort of the calculation they made and you know what what i think is really shitty about this passage is that he doesn't even defend you know he says like this is a this is a program to help homeowners no it isn't it's a program to fuck homeowners is to say oh yeah you bought it the wrong time you know we're not going to help you and our program is going to be designed to not help you and when you know there turns out to be uh We'll, we'll get to this in a in a in a little bit i think the, um their systematic crime we're not going to do anything about it because that also mm-hmm. would threaten the fr- fragility of the banks and and yeah. so th- this speaks i think to when you know obama is so invested in this vision of the United States as like a sort of basically functional society that when you have like rampant criminality, like industrial scale document fraud, which is the robo signing scandal, uh, that he just won't, he, he doesn't mention it, never talks about it at all. I mean, this was one of the yeah. signature things that I would say produced Trump and, uh, just doesn't talk about it because it just does not fit into his worldview.
0: He, He has kind of a throwaway line about, you know, he revisits decisions and could I have done more here and there? He does have like a throwaway line, like, Except, I do regret not doing more to prevent foreclosures. Yeah, like he has that line in there, which is just a remarkable thing to say without specifying like how to do that would have gone my, against my his pro
1: pre- foreclosure yeah. policy. Seems yeah. to have created yeah. a lot of <laughs> foreclosures. This this sucks. I wish I could have done something about
0: this. I wish I wish I could have done something about it. Oops. Yeah, it's 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 really upsetting because. Um, you know his arguments are so weak sauce when when it goes to those obvious um the obvious harm he did to people yeah. you know at a time where you know there weren't any excuses really um and at least he has the whatever integrity you might call it to to just like speed past it and say okay well i'm not going to waste a bunch of time pretending right that uh, i was justified i'm just going to kind of like gloss over this and hope people don't notice Um, yeah yeah so 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 here's here's my next quotation Uh, and this is this is going back in time for when he was running for state senate so quote we filed our challenge with the Chicago Board of Election Commissioners and when it became clear the board was going to rule in our favor Alice dropped out while we were at it we knocked several other Democrats with bad petitions off the ballot as well Without a Democratic opponent, with only token Republican opposition, I was on my way to the state Senate. Whatever vision I had for a a more noble kind of politics, it would have to wait. Now, to me, this was super revealing, right? Because he has to get cajoled by his staff to To do a really obvious thing to defeat defeat his opponent, his opponent who betrayed her commitment to him, yeah. not to contest. Right. Do a little so, background
1: so, here. To to what's the story yeah. here? Um, you want me to tell it? Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Sure. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So so he's running for state senate in Illinois, and uh, the incumbent um uh ha- had run for a different office, I think. Alice something. Yeah. And, and had promised him that, that she wasn't going to run for re-election. And right. uh, so he jumped in. And part of the way the rules work, because America is like a two-party state, basically, like where it's virtually impossible for third parties to get on the ballot, you have to get a shitload of signatures uh, to, that you present to the election officials to get on the ballot. And he right. had gone through a ton of effort. Uh, to get those oh,
0: huge amount of effort to get those they, they told they told them you, you get a bunch of them are, are invalid and discounted yeah, for various they, reasons right. and, and so, and he, so you, know, yeah, you have to get like f-
1: a ton <laughs> of political contestation happens through trying to basically rig the election like republicans do now trying to throw out people try to try to try to change the rules so that you can't fight on on any sort of like popular contest over who has the will of the majority population You know, you're trying to like, like, you know, just fuck around with the rules. And and so after, you know, after he had gone through a ton of effort to get all of his signatures, he was sort of sort of playing by the rules that sucked. Uh, uh, This lady comes back in. Um, I I forget the, the context of that exactly, but basically she. It didn't work out or whatever in her other race. And so she, she had
0: a bunch, a bunch of, she had a bunch of bad signatures, what, yeah. right? Like she jumps went,
1: back in yeah. and her signatures are pr- like, they're probably faked up. And Obama yep. is momentarily, uh, uh, he, he's, he's worried about challenging these signatures because basically you're, you're winning, by by cheating in a sense, I mean you you you're following the rules, but you're you're basically using those rules to kick somebody off the ballot rather than trying to beat them in a fair election. And then all of his advisors are like, "Uh, you know, the, she she promised but, but, you, but, she said <laughs> she yeah, would not well, do but, it."
0: So so so, but no notice notice one that like, he, not only did he and his staff have to have to butt, bust their ass to adhere to this, but Michelle Obama, right? you know, out does what he does. Like she, he says she probably got four times as many signatures as he did. She busted yeah. her ass for him, even though she hated it. She's like, I must really love you. Cause like, I really hate doing this. And, and like, so like the people he love are working their asses off to get him to win. And he almost throws it away when like somebody who betrayed his trust and commitment, uh, got fake signatures, yeah, right. To, in, in order to beat him. And he's like, reluctance to get her tossed for the fake signatures and for, right, on something that he actually put in the effort for and people he loved and cared about put in the effort for. It, it just was so revealing to me that he thought the noble way would have been to let her stay in with the fake signatures and waste all the effort that his wife and his staff members went through to adhere to the rules. Like the idea that that this was like Machiavellian or something was just so revealing to me when he encounters time and time again, not just like adhering to the rules and calling somebody out for not adhering to them, but like the kind of mitch mcconnell type politics that are so shrewd and just soulless um it to to me it was just remarkable that his version of nobility was actually a a misunderstanding of justice a misunderstanding of virtue
1: narcissistic that
0: that to me yeah so that that was quite revealing to me
1: um yeah so let let me do let me do two of them here uh sure so here he's talking about um the, 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 uh, you know, the, the, the lack of wall street prosecutions, he says, quote, my attorney general, Eric Holder would later point out that as egregious as the behavior of the banks may have been leading up to the crisis, there were a few indications that their executives had committed prosecutable offenses under existing statutes. And, uh, in a different spot, he says, Um, he's talking about, you know, sort of left wing proposals, you know, to like nationalize the banks, break up with the banks, so on and so on. But when you dig into the details, each of the options they propose, whether nationalization of the banks or stretching the definitions of criminal statutes to prosecute banking executives or simply letting a portion of the banking system collapse so as to avoid moral hazard, would have required a violence to the social order, a wrenching of political and economic norms that almost certainly would have made things worse. And, <laughs> and so this, this, to, this to me is like Obama's kind of, kind of bullshit, uh uh, 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 rationalization coming out again, because, uh, you know, as, as I talked about before, you know, with, with, with the robo signing scandal, uh, you know, you, you had the banks, um, mo- most of the big banks, you know, had these mortgage servicers, you know, in-house that were foreclosed on people with forged documents. And these forged documents were produced basically like industrial scale. You know, you had people, uh, falsely attesting to knowledge of, you know, mortgage documents a uh, hundred times a day. Uh, you know, just like here's a, you know, inch thick mortgage file. You know, I open the front page. Boom. I know about this. Move on to the next one. Um, That is fraud. That is that is mortgage fraud. That is document fraud that, you know, that that is a crime. You cannot foreclose on someone unless you have the proof of ownership of the the lien. Right. Uh, And, and, um, you know, they just, they, they, they did a wrist slap fine on this stuff. They didn't bust anyone for it. uh, And it was intentional, you know, it was because Mm -hmm. during the, you know, the bubble years, they had been taking these mortgages and slicing and dicing them up into, uh, uh, securities and, uh, nobody had been keeping track of the paperwork. So when they went to try to find out who owned the, the mortgage, They didn't know. There was no, no there was no track of anything. And so I think that, that brings me to, you know, the, the, the second quote, Um, you know, you're talking about nationalizing the banks or, or, I mean, in the first instance, stretching the definitions of criminal statutes, that is just straight up not true at all. You're talking, I mean, you're talking about like, this is egregious crime. This is, you know, this this is like just capping someone in the head in Times Square where ten thousand people are watching you, um, really, really fucking blatant. And they got away with it because they're rich and because the crime is complicated. Uh, it, it it was not any kind of like like we're we're gonna perp walk someone because because like <laughs> they're you know it's a you know complicated.
0: Well, let's do it. Let's do a show trial just to make an example out of somebody, whether we know they did anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that at all.
1: And, uh, uh, you know, and, and so um, we should probably return to nationalization, but, but it, it, it speaks to, you know, the way that like Obama poses himself as, uh, you know, a sort of defender of Uh, moderation. I mean, small C conservatism, basically, like we shouldn't do, you know, too much. uh, We we shouldn't change things too much. Like, uh, you know, there's small changes better than big change. But like when it's it's kind of the opposite of moderation as self-described to when you, when you are, when you are presented with a huge crime, not to respond with a huge prosecution, you know, to just let people get away with it because it would be big and controversial to prosecute the people involved because they're all rich and powerful. You know, um, it, it's, it's just a, I mean, that's why I sort of like come away with that, that, that Obama's sort of fundamental characteristic. At, at, uh, aside from a sort of over intellect intellectualization which maybe we can get into that later is this kind of cowardice you know he he says he's trying right. to defend the status quo and, and it's like the status quo is being ripped to shreds right in front of your eyes it's like the yeah. the american dream right. home ownership i mean this kind of a fucked up idea but like if you're a if you're a, a you know a I believe in America type of person and like the white picket fence and all this stuff like that is being shredded and you're not doing shit. You're letting people getting yep. thrown out on the street. You know, what the fuck That's is right. that? Yeah, yeah. While well, rich people no, no, would be he, inconvenienced.
0: I, 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 <laughs> he, uh, time and time again, I, I write next to this, like a number of quotes, cowardice or ignorance. And and then like time and time again, I think, I think it has to be cowardice because, you know, there are times where it's like, okay, that's clearly a lie, but he's just too astute and aware. Right. Unless there's just massive cognitive dissonance. Um, and so, so this, you know, I have other quotes that we'll get to as well, but since, since you brought that up, I'm going to go to the one that was going to be my, my number one, um, (laughs) because it, because it relates. Right. Yeah. So, so he, he writes, For many thoughtful critics, though, the fact that I had engineered a return to pre-crisis normalcy is precisely the problem, a missed opportunity, if not a flat-out betrayal. According to this view, the financial crisis offered me a -a once-in-a-generation chance to reset the standards for normalcy, remaking not just the financial system, but the overall uh, American economy as well. If only I had broken up the big banks um, and put an end to outsized pay packages – uh, and sent some white-collar culprits to jail. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of misquoting it here. Um, it, if only I'd put an end to outsized pay packages and Wall Street's heads I win, tails you lose culture, then maybe today we, we'd have a more equitable system that served the interests of working families rather than a handful of billionaires. I understand the frustra- such frustrations. In, in many ways, I share them. <laughs> sure and then do. dot, 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 because he goes on for a while, dot, dot, dot. Someone with a more revolutionary soul might respond that all this would have been worth it, that you have to break some eggs to make an omelet. But as willing as I had always been to disrupt my own life in in pursuit of an idea, I wasn't willing to take those same risks with the well-being of millions of people. In that sense, my first hundred days in office revealed a basic strand of my political character. I was a reformer, conservative in temperament, if not in vision. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he's full of shit in in a lot of what he's saying there. But at the end of the day, he's admitting that like, I'm a conservative in temperament, but also in vision. I don't want to disrupt things. I I think if you read between the lines, he's bullshitting himself. Yeah. Because what he what he's really saying there, I think, is that like, I didn't want, right, to have a take advantage of a once in a generation chance to restructure our political economy. Like I didn't want to do that. That's not who I am. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, he's a conservative, not in the, uh, kind of philosophical dressed up sense of, of like defending tradition and norms and so on. Um, because that would have required drastic action to, you know, to save the American middle class, you know, it's like, Oh, that's right. right. Bad things might happen if I didn't let wall street get away with, he,
0: he wants to, he wants to conserve the, the capitalist power structures.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and when it, when the choice was between, uh, you know, the, the, the the, the bonuses of Wall Street and 10 million foreclosures he chose foreclosures and now I think he's bullshitting himself about the difference between those two and that I think you know uh, conservatism you know I think I think it tends to demonstrate the validity of Corey Robbins uh take on what conservatism really is wh- which is just defensive hierarchy you know whatever it may be and the That's more right. precarious that that hierarchy is, the more hysterical and tendentious uh, the the defense yeah. needs to be. Um,
0: yeah, no, and and specifically seeing the the kind of the challenging of hierarchy and the challenging of the power structures that are causing all this misery, seeing that challenge as itself what's divisive and as itself yeah. the thing that causes disharmony and conflict. Rather than the agitation and the activism trying to change the thing that is structurally immiserating people, right? And, and, and that I think that's the fundamental difference, right? Between somebody who, who believes the system is basically okay and, and let's not prosecute, you know, people that should be guilty of war crimes and let's not really go after these, these fraudulent, um, banks and bankers, uh, because really what we need to do is sing kumbaya together and have civility. Uh, and if we do that, then people's suffering is really alleviated. It's just a bananas, you know, it's, it's like a Stockholm syndrome of the neoliberal order. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, um, I want to kind of, kind of close out here with a few, uh, a a few foreign policy quotes. Um, the,
0: yeah, if you don't mind, we can go for a little bit longer too. It depends if you have time. I have a few more quotes. Yeah. uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not in any hurry. Um, Cool. So, so, so let me, uh, let me start with um, his take on the sort of relative justice of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. He says, uh, quote, The the actual wars in Afghanistan and Iraq hadn't involved the indiscriminate bombing or deliberate targeting of civilians that had been a routine part of even good wars like World War II. And with glaring exceptions like Abu Ghraib, our troops in theater had displayed a remarkable level of discipline and professionalism. And this this struck me as like sort of... um, you know, his level of denial as applied to the foreign policy realm is
0: really, uh, I, I mean, he almost, he literally, if, if you like control search for drone, there's almost no mention of his drone strikes,
1: which radically ramped up under Obama. And and, and, uh, you know, the, it's like you could you could sort of like make an argument for this. Okay, yes, we didn't do carpet bombing of of like every city in Iraq, like we did in uh, uh, Cambodia and Vietnam, right? Cambodia, yeah. Vietnam, and and World War Two. You know, the, the Dresden and yep. and Dresden. And, you yeah. know, Tokyo. I mean, there's that you know famous sequence in. In the fog of war, sixty-seven Japanese cities that were basically flattened even before the nuclear bomb was was uh, dropped on on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, with fire bombs, and um, you know that the, the, okay, yes, the you know okay, what what kind of a argument are you attempting to make here? But you know the the difference is, I think, is that the Afghanistan and Iraq are not, uh, these countries are not united political entities that were fighting the United States. Uh, You know, target, like, carpet bombing Fallujah wouldn't have made any sense because, like, Iraq was not at war with the United States at that time. And what they did do was basically similar to uh what happened in dresden uh and you know uh, tokyo and so on it was use of fucking phosphorus rounds and um you know indiscriminate shelling and so on. like like uh, a total blithe uh, a, a, a casual uh, unconcern with civilian casualties in the face of whatever the military cons uh objectives had been decided to be however that decision yeah. had been made
0: never mind the use of mercenaries and eric prince right like and and the, the, the exactly. untold use of 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 basically private contractors who aren't uh you know in any way accountable to the geneva convention or anything else so uh it, it is it is he he almost has to have just massive cognitive dissonance or, or is lying through his teeth. Um, but, but I, I fear that he's not able to really come to terms with his own, um, administration's, I don't know, involvement in the violence, um, you know that was that was basically years and years of occupation and and the violence that that inevitably comes with it in in, in those countries uh not to mention all the countries that we were droning and, and sending our kind of um you know various assassins to kill people in yeah and let me
1: do one more quote here and, and I'll let you do a, sure. one or two um he he's he's you know talking about a long disquisition on on uh uh you know who like what he should do in Afghanistan um, af- after uh, discussion with the generals and so on. And he says, um, I didn't like the deal, but in what was becoming a pattern, the alternatives were worse. The stakes involved, the risks of a possible collapse of the Afghan government or the Taliban gaining footholds in major cities were simply too high for us not to act. And this is what ended up being a huge surge in uh, into Afghanistan. And this, I think, you know again speaks to obama's uh you know lack of intellectual willpower uh or or you know because he says he, he has a very lucid uh, explanation of how like well we we invaded and it sort of didn't work out the whole occupation is really fucking corrupt we're 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 yep. paying off all these warlords and stuff and it's really right. sort of stuck He's aware. in a quagmire but we can't do anything differently. And so we better th- send in <laughs> 30,000 more troops. And, and, uh, n- yep. and never does he reckon with, you know, l- like the disjunction, again, with the idea of nationalizing the banks or forcing the Federal Reserve to, to just like nationalize all the banks. We're going to get rid of all the mortgage debt and then we're going to help the homeowners. Like we're, we're like yep. we're getting rid of all this shit. <laughs> We're just going to flush it down the toilet. Nobody has to deal with it anymore, except for yep. all of the bank executives are going to fire. Uh, and then we're going to, you know, start from scratch where just going to be a square one. And in the same way, you know, he, he seems characterologically incapable of just thinking like the whole thing is fucked. It's never going to work. Right. Uh, it's it, like the, the, the occupation is doomed. You, it cannot, yep. it cannot function and um, uh, you, you're making things worse. The the occupation is perpetuating the political dysfunction in Afghanistan that makes it like the most corrupt country in the world or, you know, the like 10th most corrupt, whatever. How, like these things are impossible which is, to it's just
0: ba- it, Which is bananas because specifically the book documents his conversation with Petraeus in Iraq uh, where he defeats the, the absurd logic of Petraeus who is kind of like, you know, McCain-like, talking yeah. about short-term tactics, and, and, and Obama's like, okay, to what ends? Like, isn't it true that we would need more troops, um, to do what you're saying? But then, but then, wouldn't we need to constantly be doing that? Like, isn't this a perpetual problem? Basically, like this is an endless occupation, right? Is it? Uh, uh, your your logic only holds in the short term, right? Yeah. Like, at some points, at some point, we have to leave, right? Yep. And, and Petraeus basically is like shrugging his shoulders and conceding the point. Like, well, yeah, I'm not talking about the long term. I'm just saying, like, right now, to have whatever victory looks like. So, like, he susses out the absurdity of endless war and how the mission of the various kind of military. Uh, chiefs only makes sense in the narrowest of windows where they're just trying to accomplish some short term shit. But like the long term means it's endless occupation he and he just doesn't apply that to Afghanistan. And, and, and it's just, he, you know, he, it's very frustrating because he has the intellectual chops and he doesn't have like a hawkish, you know, seemingly a hawkish kind of appetite for war like some of the neocons. Uh, do you know, he recounts seeing the, the, you know, the tragedies of these young people who are wounded in war and so forth. So, so it, it's all the more upsetting because he seems to have like a kind of a level head about things. And then he goes and just does things yeah. without any kind of reason, seemingly, um, that contradicts his own, his own logic. And, and, and I think we see this time and time again, where again, whether it's cowardice or inability to just, be bold and do the thing that's needed, right? As Machiavelli teaches us, fortune favors the bold. Um, he, he has that kind of just don't shake the boat kind of mentality, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, which had disastrous effects. So so my next quote here is on Reverend Wright, because he threw Reverend Wright under the bus um, a number of times. And um, and so here's here's one of the passages. So he writes, quote, There were times when I found Reverend Wright's sermons a little over the top. In the middle of a scholarly explication of the book of Matthew or Luke, he might insert a scathing critique of America's drug war, American militarism, capitalist greed, or the intractability of American racism. Rants that were usually grounded in fact, but bereft of context. Often they sounded dated, as if he were channeling a college teach-in from 1968, Rather than leading a prosperous congregation that included police commanders, celebrities, wealthy business people, and the Chicago school superintendent. Motherfucker, that's exactly who he should be telling those things to. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Why do you think the police, rich people, celebrities shouldn't be the targets for critiques of capitalism and imperialism and the drug war. Like that's exactly who who Reverend Wright should be talking to and ranting at. Yeah, exactly. It's precisely. So like the fact that like, he thinks it was like, Oh, you don't know your audience is just so telling to me. It's like, no dude, that's what, what speaking truth to power is about. That's actually trying to transform the people who are perpetuating injustice. And and so like, I did about like threw myself off the balcony just because like <laughs> I like, so like he as self-aware as he is, this, I think is so unaware Yeah, right. that comments that, that like, so, so, so <laughs> I, he obviously doesn't understand the need to challenge power. Um, you know, and, and you, you, he has this kind of idea that civility politics and discourse is all you can do. Um, even though time and time again, he documents the, the intransigence of the GOP, the inability of people in power to actually concede to, to rational uh, discourse or facts. Um, and, and so it's just so sad that he betrays uh, his pastor and lifelong friend, while at the same time not understanding the very points that are so important to understand about actually addressing and challenging these, these power asymmetries
1: yeah yeah i definitely agree and and this um maybe uh it's my uh penultimate quote here I'm talking about the uh, the affordable care act he says by preemptively spinning so he's talking about sorry the the like c- critics of like people who said that obamacare was more or less like the wrong direction um uh, he says, quote, by preemptively spinning what could be a monumental, if imperfect, victory into a bitter defeat, the criticism con- contrib- contributed to a potential long term demoralization of Democratic voters, otherwise known as what's the point of voting if nothing ever changes syndrome, making it even harder for us to win elections and move progressive legislation forward in the future. And I think that the. the you know, the, 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 the proximate thing to say about this is that since, uh, Obamacare, you know, was passed and implemented, I mean, it's, it's, it was passed 10 years ago. It's been impl- implemented for seven years. The basic structure of it, like the, the innovative structure of it, uh, in, in terms of the exchanges has proved to be a disaster. Um, The, the, they, the, they don't work. They're poorly designed. Um, and the, uh, you know, the, the, like trying to jam healthcare through a marketplace is a really dysfunctional, shitty way of doing things. And, um, the most, the, the best part of the law is the, uh, the Medicaid expansion. The Medicaid expansion is not, uh Any kind of you know market, it's just basically expanding a social insurance up, you know, to a, a a different means test, you know. But the a means test sucks, but it's not the same, you know. It's it doesn't work through any sort of market, um, and uh, you know. So when he's talking about why you know, like wh- why he thought it was worth sacrificing the public option, you know. It, it, He's not really reckoning with the the, the the argument, which I think is correct, that, um, you know, you put a ton of effort into passing something that was basically mistaken. Like what you should have done is put everything behind the public option and sacrifice the exchanges or put, you know, tried to back the Medicaid thing as much as you could. And in fact, this actually happened in the Supreme Court. Um, you know, because the Supreme Court is fake and laws are bullshit. Um when they were doing what was it, uh S- S- Sibelius S- versus Sibelius, yeah. yeah yep. versus NFIB, uh the, the 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 they were doing some negotiating and uh Su- Yeah, Roberts Robertson was was talking with uh Suter and uh Ginsburg. Keegan. Right? And I think it was Kagan. Kagan, yeah. what, whatever the so the liberals were were negotiating with the conservatives with with Roberts, and um, basically they gave up the Medicaid expansion for the individual mandate. Um, the, and
0: the exact opposite trade that they should have done. Yes, yeah.
1: uh, b- because you know not only is Medicaid expansion better than the than the individual mandate, you don't actually need the individual mandate to make the uh, exchanges work as well as they do, which is not very well. Uh, but, but like, (laughs) like people do not need to be forced to buy insurance. People buy insurance, uh, because they, you know, they, they feel like they need it. The, the, the mandate is largely pointless. Getting rid of it, as Republicans have done, really hasn't done anything. And so, you know, I mean, the, the-
0: and again, this was a backroom deal that came out, you know, after the fact when Roberts was the deciding five-four uh, justice, right? And and, yep. and he was only the deciding justice because he was willing to do this this kind of backroom deal. Um, and, and, and you know, it's it's just it's just so shocking because like it, the the Democrats knew. That Obamacare wasn't going to do what it, what it really needed to do, right? And, and, and that's not t- to be fair. Like, okay, so a lot of, you know, millions of people had insurance, whether it was expensive or they could afford it or not, um, you know, that, that they, they didn't have before. Uh, but, but, you know, for all the, the shenanigans and, and politicking that he went through, and he did some good politicking, um, for, for passing Obamacare, uh, you know, his premise at the outset, was, look, single payer is better if you're starting from scratch. This is a quote that I've heard a lot from Obama, right? But since we're not starting from scratch, we can't do it that way. And I always thought, well, what what exactly do you mean by that? And it becomes clear in this book that what he means by that is that uh, big pharma and the insurance companies are too powerful to, to contest that you have to basically bribe them into uh, being at the table and and being a part of a a plan that they're on board with because it helps them too. And that's why we kept this kind of profit motive oriented disaster that became Obamacare Uh, because his very premise, just like the premise that Rahm Emanuel had with the stimulus, his very premise was uh, there are powers here that can't be contested, right? As opposed to thinking, you know what, what's really going to help people – would be to take on, like Bernie does, right, these special interest groups that are harming the the, the very uh, potential for people to be uh, helped, you know, in terms of having insurance, in terms of not going bankrupt because of medical bills, and so forth. And he just out of hand dismisses that possibility and starts uh, at the negotiating table with the vested interests at the table, whose very interests are exactly against the interests of the people of the country. Um, and, and this this kind of capitulation without reflection, I think, is is the biggest indictment of him, perhaps. Um, that and maybe this this will lead me. I, I had a few more quotes, but this will lead me to, to maybe my last quote that I'll I'll share because sure. uh, it, it it speaks to to really what was lost, what the missed opportunity was. Okay, so um, he's talking about when he was giving speeches running running for for office, right? So he, he writes, quote, there comes a point in the speech where I find my cadence, the crowd quiets rather than roars. It's the kind of moment I'd come to recognize in subsequent years on certain magic nights. There's a physical feeling, a current of emotion that passes back and forth between you and the crowd, as if your lives and theirs are suddenly spliced together like a movie reel, projecting backward and forward in time. And your voice creeps right up to the edge of cracking because, for an instant, you feel them deeply. You can see them whole. You've tapped into some collective spirit, a thing we all know and wish for, a sense of connection that overrides our differences and replaces them with a giant swell of possibility. And like all things that matter most, you know the moment is fleeting and that soon the spell will be broken. And this is my final quote because I had repressed maybe how talented he was at giving speeches and getting crowds going and really just captivating people yep this was a guy whose talent was just nonpareil unsurpassed and he could have easily he stopped like his campaigns were magisterial in terms of riling up crowds and bringing out crowds and giving tremendous speeches and motivating people to action uh, and he just as soon as he got to office, we are the ones we've been waiting for just like fell away. And he even talks in the book about how you can't rely on one charismatic leader. They literally stopped the ground up grassroots organization that helped them win the election and didn't tap into that ability to inspire to use the bully pulpit to actually change what's politically possible by fighting for what's right and, and actually giving I mean, God bless Bernie. He's a man of principle, but he can't give a speech like Obama. No. Nope. So imagine, imagine if Bernie had Obama's oratory. Imagine if Bernie had the talents that Obama has, right? You don't think he could have done more in terms of political possibility by using that incredible writing and speaking talents to actually push ideologically for what is right? Uh, To me, this was the quote I ended with because it's the most tragic because of how much intelligence, talent, uh, rhetorical flourish, and ability to inspire action and collective action, um, that could have really done so much more than he did if he didn't have, whether it's the cowardice or the, or the conservative temperament or whatever the reasons are for his validating and reinforcing the status quo, whether it's capitalism or imperialism or whatever, whether his civility and decorum focus, uh, you know, was something he couldn't get, get away from for, for whatever reason, it's just such a shame that he wasn't actually a fighter like FDR, a fighter like Bernie, that he didn't apply his great talent to risking something and being bold for the common good and for those that needed him when he could have had uh, his power used to serve the people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's kind of my final uh, takeaway is that, um, this is why you don't have a writer as president. Um, you know, right. Writers are very good at, 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 justification at, 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 you know, take it from me, um, a professional writer, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I've been one for, for basically yep. a decade um you know people who uh can um make excuses for things people who 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 think that a a granular understanding of what is going on is the same thing as trying to fix it um you know that that uh um uh, a kind of ability to to to, to sort of envelop, an issue and under, and, and, and sort of dig into the problem is the same, you know, the same, like can can easily be twisted into and turned into, a uh, justification for why, uh, you know, we, we actually couldn't do anything about it. And, you know, me, it's probably unfair to say, he said in writerly fashion, that all writers are like this, (laughs) but, but I, I think it is, it is sort of, it is very, a very writerly book. It is a very, you know, the dishonesty is very writerly in that it is very honest in many ways. It outlines the problems uh, very accurately and makes very many accurate observations, but in its sort of essential characteristics and its essential diagnoses, it is just incredibly wrong and misleading. And, um, you know, I know that because, you know, I'm, I'm in there. That's, that's my, that's my business. And no, it, yeah. it, you know, being able to like having a sophisticated, uh, 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 you know, a subtle understanding of things, you know, in, in the, the sort of classic, like, uh, you know, Thomas Pinchon, type of uh, framework it's like oh i'm 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 a, i'm a modern writer I'm, I'm i'm i have a sort of like holistic like understanding of all of the all the ways of of how modern life it's like the, all the subtle details and so on and so forth that you know observation is one thing action is another thing and what That's obama was right. exactly missing right. is the action you know
0: you know, it, it occurs to me, Ryan, that, uh, you know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau's first discourse is so instructive here. Uh, <laughs> and, and I, you know, I don't have the, I just pulled up on, on online and, and, uh, you know, a translation that's probably not a very good translation. So it's not the one that I use, but the the very end of it is so apt because the whole first discourse on the arts and sciences is about this distinction you're drawing. It's, it's exactly about this distinction. And yeah. so, so here's the end. It says, he writes, O oh, virtue, sublime science of simple minds, are such industry and preparation needed if we are to know you? Are not your principles engraved on every heart? Need we do more to learn your laws than examine ourselves and listen to the voice of conscience when the passions are silent? This is the true philosophy with which we must learn to be content without envying the fame of those celebrated men whose names are immortal in the Republic of Letters." Let us instead of envying them, endeavor to make between them and us that honorable distinction, which was formerly seen to exist between two great peoples, that the one knew how to speak and the other how to act aright.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. The the, the, distinct, the distinction between being uh, erudite and knowing how to speak well or how to write well and how to act well and to do what's necessary and good. Right. The distinction between those held in esteem for their their beautiful flowery words and those held in esteem because they knew how to do what was right. And I think that's the difference right there. Yeah.
1: And I don't think, to be clear, I don't think those two things necessarily trade off. You You look at, you right. know, arguably the best or the second best president of all time, Lincoln. He was a guy, you know, who did have that subtle yeah. uh, understanding and that, you know, incredible Both. literary yeah, talent sure. uh, and mm-hmm. was uh, in uh, merciless political operator. Uh, right. And, and, and well, similarly FDR, actually FDR was a guy, Absolutely. He, he, he would sac- he, he never sacrificed politics to principle. But he had principles yeah. at the same time. And when he could get a win on those things, he, um, you he know, sees the moment. yeah, he sees the moment, you know, the, 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 uh, executive order for, for desegregating, uh, defense contracts and so on. And, you know, his successor, Harry Truman desegregating mm-hmm. the military, you know, like being like basically part of the broad arc of the Democratic party catering to African Americans. That was something, you know, he, yeah he he didn't he didn't do it when it would have been counterproductive but he clearly was sympathetic with the broad case of it and and that you know i think is the fundamental difference be- between someone like fdr and someone like obama fdr yep. i mean he was a smart guy he wasn't a genius uh aside from politics he he was he was a guy who you know he loved being in charge of things he was you know he he loved power he he and he used that power in a in a in a moral way, you know and in, and and th- that that re- required many grim compromises uh, here and there. Obama is a person who uh, is more he, like he doesn't seem interested in power to me. He doesn't he wants to to explain why he didn't do things. And that to me is like a a, a symptom of a sort of like over-intellectualized and or you know, kind of cowardly well, or also, corrupt.
0: Well, that's the thing. I, I also want to say, right, because that you can imagine arguments that are, um, you know, fair enough in terms of he's the first black president. He can't be seen as the angry black man. Sure. There's all these restraints. I, I think in reading this book, that's not at all what motivated him um, to, to do what he did or didn't do. And, and instead, it, it also is an insult to people he cites, Martin, Dr. King, yeah. right, to, 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 to Du Bois. Uh, co- courageous people, Right, who, who, uh, as much as King was seen as as somebody who was um, moderate compared to, say, uh, the Black Panthers or something, he also really challenged power. And he also was tremendously courageous in the stances he took and the words he spoke and the politics he did and getting imprisoned. Uh, you know, thinking of Frederick Douglass, I mean, think about how Frederick Douglass was invited to speak by Lincoln, right, on the 4th of July. And, and he just rips into everybody, about the very invitation to speak on the 4th, 4th of July and how the 4th of July was was for for them and not for him right yeah. and and in that speech he he contests i, sh- I should say he contests the very philosophy of Bo- of obama and says that that because of the the pervasive injustice um that runs rampant uh what we need is not light but thunder in other words how absurd to think that reason and discourse is the thing that's called for right now yeah. what what you need is passion thunder and like Calling on the conscience of everyone for, and this is where we get back to, to Bush being like buddy, buddy with Obama yep. and Obama feeling bad that people were protesting Bush as he was on his way out.
1: Oh, he's a war criminal, you know- evil murderer, <laughs> these
0: right right it, 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 this lack of the conscience that sees how actually grave and and disastrous are the injustices of the day and, and the righteous anger that that has, that that gives you the thumos the spiritedness the courage to speak out and act thumos. Uh, you know yeah. in the face of that the thum, you know it, it's you know obama didn't have the thumos right he didn't have the the courage he didn't have the will and 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 maybe that blinded him uh, intellectually as well so, um, so it's, it's, it's a read, I think that's, that's, um, quite emotional, at least it was for me to, to, to process, <laughs> yeah. but, God uh, but I think worth doing, <laughs> I know what, what we missed out on, uh, you know, but, uh, but something that hopefully we could all learn from in, in terms of, uh, relying on the many, not the one. And in terms of really pushing our leaders to be better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, yeah, it's, it's worth reading. You know, I, I think he's uh, one of our most formidable presidents, um, and, 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 and just a terrible missed opportunity. And I think it's worth un- trying to understand and unpack why it didn't work out. Um, you know, obviously the first p- black president and, uh, you know, a, a person who is still very, very popular among the American people was going to be a, a very, you know, a, 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 interesting and, and unique person. And, um, you know, it's worth trying to understand what happened there.
0: Here, one more thing before we go, the tragic, uh, end to the story for me, he, this motherfucker dedicates the book to the young people, first of all. And he, and he ta- talks about activism. He talks about, you know, social movements and, and, and how important they are. Right. And, and and this is a guy who threw away all of the young people and and the huge kind of uh, grassroots support that he had cultivated, uh, and didn't use them at all during his years in office. Yeah. And then, then like when Bernie Sanders does the same kind of grassroots organizing and builds the same kind of young generation support that's diverse and that actually has you know more realization of what Obama's dream was uh, than he ever had, right? His use of power after he's president is to is to crush that movement at the most yeah. critical moment, right the to usher only in neppe
1: use of power yeah.
0: yes. Yes, yes, who he never steps into things so 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 that's kind of the dark ending to to this story in a way is that uh whatever idealism he he has uh or he had, he has completely capitulated to uh doing everything that is in his power to to reinforce the the power structures that be and to to usher in more of the same so um yeah that's that's sad, but that is I think an honest uh evaluation of of the man and, and his use of power and talent.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, you, you could maybe compare him to John Quincy Adams. Um, you know, after after John Quincy Adams was president, he went back to Congress, not even a Senate. Uh he went back to the House and he fought slavery literally until his dying breath. He died in the Capitol building. Um and yep. and uh you know, he was a sort of he was carrying the torch. He was the Bernie uh, in the context of the, you know, 1840s, uh, just carrying that torch. And it was like, oh, that cranky old fuck, you know, look at him over there trying to achieve something. And, you know, yep. without people like that, without people like him and John Brown and, and uh, you know, Harriet Tubman and so on, it wouldn't, you know, the groundwork could not have been laid for, you know, right. uh, the, the civil war and abolition. Um, and, and that
0: I, so I, I think that's a great contrast. And I, I hope, I hope that with Biden now we can stop the admiration of people's character. I don't even want to get into Biden's character, but the, <laughs> the, the, the false perception of people's character, yeah. you know, because it is, it is such a contrast with Trump and and his gross, just narcissistic, oh, yeah. uh, ug ugl- ugliness, right. Um, it is a nice contrast to have somebody who, who espouses at least, uh, certain decency and civility and so forth, but to not lose sight of what really matters, right. Which is action. And, um, and, and it's not left, let Biden off the hook, maybe because he's not so magisterial and talent and rhetoric, uh, and, and maybe so many people see the flaws in him. Uh, he, he will be pushed more readily, than, than was Obama. Yeah. Um. But Black Lives Matter came up through through the Obama administration, and, and activists uh, are very good about, about this. So the question is, can the activists um, expand the uh, understanding of what's wrong with a neoliberal administration uh, far beyond you know the the small corners of 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 kind of the left? and and the left is growing but but i hope we have clear eyes in in how to persuade and mobilize and organize uh the masses to to challenge and push and cajole uh to fight for justice
1: yeah absolutely yeah and as a as a final comment i mean you know many listeners may not be old enough to remember this like very clearly but you know th- this time is very different from 2008 uh the the you know the that election I would say that's the most magical, just in terms of the feeling. Yeah. I mean, I was in rural Colorado at yes. that time. And I remember people were partying in the street in, in rural Colorado. Um,
0: right.
1: You know, yeah, do, it do, something. it was like things, th- we're going to fix the things. Like, like we f-
0: it felt like anything was possible. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's like, we, we got this guy, we got this guy, he, you know, he is the, he, he's, carrying all of our hopes and our dreams, and and he's going to set things right. And, um, you know, we really believed in that. Nobody believes that about Joe Biden, not even the people who are defending <laughs> right. him online. Uh, You know, yes,
0: he,
1: yes. He, I mean, you yeah. just look at his favorability rating. He has a very he has a pretty low unfavorable rating, but his favorable rating is also very, very low. He was a guy that Democrats thought could be Trump. You know, I mean, they made a conservative choice. It's like, well, well the party told us that this guy was most likely to be Trump. So we're going to go with that. And he does not at all command the same kind of organic loyalty for, you know, tens of millions of people that Obama did. I mean, you know, for mm-hmm. for, for a couple of years, easily, you know, th- half the country would you know, Obama said jump, they would have said how high. And that alienation process, I think, is a big part of what led to Trump. But conversely, now, you know, that, that Biden's in there, who knows whether he'll listen or not. It seems like he isn't, he's not uh, inclined to. But in terms of a sort of like organizing left, uh you know they're there you don't have to get over that hump of the Democrats will save us most people I think most people are even slightly honest with themselves who are not just total democratic no, partisans, yep. yeah, I mean you that's like twenty million people, something like that uh they know the Democrats don't give a fuck about you, you know like like they're just you know out to to win the election and you know get some jobs for their friends um and and so in that sense. I feel a little bit of hope, you know, a right, little right. bit, not much, very small <laughs> That's the amount,
0: amount we need. It's the right amount we need. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of use that ember and build it into a fire, but, uh, we've got the proper skepticism and the proper range of, uh, affective states necessary to, to fight for justice, hopefully. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think with that we can be done with this volume 1 of this <laughs> memoir but um, can't wait for volume but never two. forget that, that, that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll be less kind probably um but uh yeah so so we'll use the past for the present and the future and um and yeah so so thanks everybody for for listening to us as we you know had our our kind of nostalgic journey through the false hopes that the Ob- obama's administrations gave us and uh yeah thanks for being our patrons we appreciate you
1: yeah Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode.